0: If you have your Bibles with you, if I can draw your attention to Psalm 22, Psalm 22 verses 1 through 21, Psalm 22 verses 1 through 21, to the choir master, according to the dough of the dawn, a psalm of David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you. At my mother's breasts, on you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me, they open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax; it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me; a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you So thankful that on this Father's Day, the Lord's Day, we're able to come before our Heavenly Father. We come confidently, expecting with great joy to hear from you. And Father, we come with confidence, not because of anything in us, but for Christ's sake, because of what he's done for us in securing our ability to be able to draw near to your throne of grace in our time of need. And so now we come And we pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts that long to be drawn close to you. And Father, that you would be exalted in our midst this morning. We had confessed that we cannot do this on our own, so come, Holy Spirit. Accompany the preaching of your word. Make it effective in our hearts and in our lives for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by asking you a very simple question and i'm going to ask it in a couple different ways so so bear with me have you ever in your entire life experienced such intense suffering that while you were in the midst of it you were unable to communicate your experience using words or have you ever experienced such intense suffering That your vocabulary fell short of of capturing what you were feeling? Or have you ever experienced so much internal anguish that language failed you in being able to express it? Now my hope is that you haven't experienced suffering like that. And and if you haven't, I, I hope that you never do. But you see, I feel like I need to prepare you in this sense because the reality is that in this world, it's almost certain that at least once in your your life, at least once, you will experience this kind of suffering. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that for some of you here this morning, we're such a large group, I'm sure that some of you out here this morning are experiencing this kind of suffering even as you sit in your chair And if that's you this morning, know that my prayers are with you. But you see, here's the reality about this kind of suffering. All of us have either already experienced it, or we are currently experiencing it, or we one day will experience it. That's the reality of life in a fallen world. None of us can escape this kind of suffering. And so the question we must ask ourselves is, how do we endure When we suffer like this, how do we persevere in the faith when we feel like we just want to walk away and, and, and give up? Well, once again, the book of Psalms is our answer. And here's why. Because the German reformer, Martin Luther, once said that whereas the rest of the Bible speaks directly to us, the wonder of the book of Psalms is that it also speaks For us. So, what Luther is saying is that God, through the Psalms, gives us words in our suffering. God gives us words when our own words are in short supply. And these aren't just any words, they're the very words of God, the words that God has given us so that we can speak them back to Him and endure even as we suffer. So Christian, here's my encouragement to you. When you find yourself suffering and it's so intense that you can't express it with words and you feel like giving up, turn to the Psalms. Read through the Psalms until you find your voice and then take that Psalm and speak it to the Lord. In your pain and through your tears, cry it out to the Lord. And you see what I love about Psalm 22 is that it's a perfect example of that. It's a perfect example of a psalm that we can take in our sufferings and speak to the Lord so that we can persevere. And so here's what I want us to do. As we look at Psalm 22, I want us to see three movements in David's experience of suffering. Three movements in David's experience of suffering. We'll see how he experienced the distance of God. The nearness of man and the hope of Messiah. So first, let's look at the distance of God. Look at verses 1 through 11 with me again. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but mock me they make mouths at me they wag their heads he trusts in the lord let him deliver him let him rescue him for he delights in him yet you are he who took me from the womb you made me trust in you at my mother's breasts on you was i cast from my birth and from my mother's womb you have been my god be not far from me for trouble Is near and there is none to help. Now, the very first thing we should notice here is that David addresses God as my God. And the reason we should notice that is because it lets us know that David is in a covenant relationship with God. And so you see, the God that David addresses here isn't just a God, but he's his God, the God that he worships, the God that he's committed to, the God that he loves. And what that covenant relationship also means is that God is committed to David, to love David and redeem David and seek the good of David. In other words, God and David are in a covenant with one another in which they are committed to each other. And you see, it's in light of this covenant relationship that we, could be, we should be confused by what we read in the text because what does David say to God? He asks, why Have you forsaken me? In other words, David is asking God, why does it seem that you aren't being faithful to the covenant? You promised that you would never leave me or forsake me and yet you feel so far away. And so David is asking God, why? Why are you so far from saving me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? Why are you not answering me? cry out to you day and night incessantly and still you do not answer. So in other words, David feels distant from God. He feels like God isn't even in the picture. But here's a question we need to ask. Why is David expecting that God will hear him and will answer him and will save him? Why does David have that expectation? Well, because that's what God does for his covenant people. I mean, just think back to the Israelites. You remember that they were at one time in captivity in Egypt. And so they cried out to God. And what did God do? God heard their groanings. And he answered them by sending them Moses. And then God saved them by bringing them out of Egypt. And David knows all this. He knows the history of his people. And so what he's asking God here is, I know that you delivered my fathers when they trusted in you. So why aren't you delivering me when I trust in you? That's what he says in verses three through five. He says, they weren't disappointed in you. So why am I disappointed in you? But I want to point out to you that David's not questioning whether or not God is good. He's not questioning whether or not God is worthy of praise. He's not even questioning whether or not God is sovereign and in control. Instead, David is confused. He doesn't understand why what he knows to be true about God isn't matching up with his experience. And so he's asking God, why? Why are you so far away from delivering me when I have the same faith and trust in you as my fathers did. So David's doing his best here to try and make sense of what's going on. And in so doing, he doesn't just reflect on his national history, he also reflects on his personal history. If you look at verses nine through 11, you see that David recalls that God has been near to him and cared for him ever since he was a baby. And so he says, listen, God, you have been my God since I was in my mother's womb. And it was you, God, who cared for me. And brought me into this world. And it was you, God, who gave me faith, even while I was nursing at my mother's breasts, so that I trusted in you. You see, God, you have always been my God. So do not be far away from me. Be as near to me now as you have always been, because I feel as helpless as a little baby. So you see, once again, David's not questioning God's goodness or sovereignty, or, or anything like that. Instead, he's turning towards the Lord and crying out to him, draw near to me, my God, because I need your help. Remember our history together, and then come and rescue me. And Christian, I can't help but ask you, do you feel comfortable talking to God like this? Do you feel comfortable pouring out all your doubts and feelings before him? Do you feel open enough in your relationship with God to plead your case with him when you don't understand his ways? Or do you read these words of David and think to yourself, how dare he speak to God like that? I mean, I couldn't even imagine talking to God in that way. Who does David think he is? But you see, this is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you where you're completely open and honest about your struggles, and then you cry out for him to be near. And do you you know how I know that? Because he's given us this psalm. He's given us Psalm 22. And why has he given it to us? So that we would speak it back to him when he feels distant from us. So that we would cry out for him to be near when he seems so far away because Christian, hear me on this, there will be times when God feels distant. And I think it's important for us as Christians to know that because no one warns you about this. No one tells you when you first become a Christian, hey, by the way, there's gonna be days when God feels really far away. And so when those days do come, we think, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I never really believed in the first place. But you see, re- the reality is that this happens to the best of Christians. I mean, David is the man after God's own heart, and it happens to him. So don't be surprised when it happens to you. But don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you need to be okay with it. Clearly, David was not okay with it. I mean, he cried out for the Lord to take it away. But when it happens, don't be surprised as if this were out of the ordinary. Or proof that you're not a true believer. Because this happens to all of us at one time or another. And I think it's important that you realize that. But you know, David didn't just experience the distance of God as excruciating as that was. To add on top of that, he also experienced to his great torment the nearness of man. Look at verses 12 through 21 with me. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death." For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Now in these verses, David continues to tell us about his experience of suffering. And what he tells us is that while God is distancing himself, David's enemies are drawing closer. And what's interesting is how David describes his enemies. Because if you noticed, he describes them as animals. For example, if you look at verse 12, you see that he describes them as bulls, and not just any bulls, but like strong bulls from Bashan. Now what are strong bulls from Bashan? Well, in David's day, they were bulls that were well known for their large size and their ferocity. They they were greatly feared. And so what David is saying here is, that's what my enemies are like. They're like a group of strong bulls who have surrounded me on every side and are waiting to gore me with their horns. And as if that weren't frightening enough, David goes on to describe his enemies like lions. He says they're like lions who roar and tear apart their prey. That's a pretty vivid picture, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's pretty gruesome. Because if you've ever watched a a lion pride hunt on the Discovery Channel or Animal Planet or whatever, then you know just how disturbing this is. It's gross to watch. And what David is saying is, my enemies are the lions and I am the prey and they have now caught me and begun to devour me. But here's a question we need to ask. Why is David describing his enemies this way? Why is he comparing them to animals? Well, let me give you two reasons why. First of all, I want you to think about, put yourself in David's shoes. How do you think you would feel if you were surrounded by a group of strong bulls that were waiting to gore you? What do you you think you'd be feeling? What do you think you'd be going through your head? Or think about how you would feel if you were being mauled, eaten alive by a, a lion pride. What do you think you'd be going through your mind? How, how do you think you would be feeling? You'd probably be pr- feeling pretty helpless, wouldn't you? You'd probably be feeling pretty powerless, wouldn't you? Like there was no way of escape for you. And you see, that's the feeling David is trying to evoke in us by using this language. Why? Because that's exactly how David feels before his enemies. He feels helpless and powerless, with no way of escape. So that's one reason David uses these descriptions. But I think the second reason is because he's actually telling us something about his enemies. He's telling us they're like animals. They're like brutes. Their behavior is more animalistic than it is humane. And let me show you what I mean by that. If you look back at verse six, David describes how his enemies have humiliated him. And the first thing he says is that he feels more like a worm than a man. Now, obviously, he's using hyperbole here. But the point is, he feels dehumanized by his enemies and how they have treated him. And why is that? Because they've scorned him and despised him to no end. That's why he says in verse 7, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. So they're mocking David And they're insulting David, and they're jeering at David. And what do they say? They say sarcastically, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. In other words, they're telling him, David, clearly God doesn't delight in you. Just in case you haven't gotten the point yet, David. If he did, then why hasn't he delivered you? Why hasn't he rescued you, David? Why? So do you see what's going on here? David's already questioning his relationship with God because of how distant God feels. But then add to that, here are David's enemies trying to confirm his fears. They're saying, David, you're right. God doesn't love you. David, you're right. This isn't how God treats his people. So guess what that means? You must not be one of his people. So you see how cruel this is? They're kicking David while he's down. And so what's David's response? We'll jump forward to verse 11. David says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Now it's important that you realize that David's not describing a physical illness here. He's not sick. What he's describing are the physical effects of his inner turmoil. In other words, his soul is in such anguish that it's actually affecting his body. His body is falling apart under the weight of being forsaken by God and attacked by man so viciously. And so essentially what David is saying is that he can't function the way a human being is supposed to function. He's so traumatized by this experience that that he's in a state of shock. And so he has no strength. And he feels like he can hardly stand. And his mouth is so dry that he can't speak. So you see, David is despairing of life itself, which is why he says in verse 15, you lay me in the dust of death. Now, you think that'd be description enough, but then David goes on and gives us another picture of how he feels so close to death. And if you look at verse 16, he starts out again by comparing his enemies to animals. Only this time, he describes them as dogs. And just so we're clear on this, we're not talking about your friendly household pet here. We're talking about wild, rabid dogs. And so David says it's like they've surrounded him and they've started to eat him as if he were a a corpse that hasn't been given the honor of a burial, but has simply been thrown to the dogs like dog food. And as all this is happening, David says his enemies look on and rejoice in his demise. In fact, they take his clothing like spoils of war and they gamble, they draw straws to see who will get them. In other words, they've taken David's death and they've turned it into a game. And you see, this is how David feels. This is how he's experiencing his suffering. But you see, what's amazing is that David is still looking to God. Though his world is crumbling around him, though his God has apparently forsaken him, and though his enemies are near to attack him, yet he still cries out for the Lord to draw near and deliver him. He still turned towards the Lord even in the face of all this suffering. So here's the question. How can he do this? How is David enduring? I mean, I wanna know because I wanna be able to endure like this. Well, you see, the only reason David could endure was because he was looking forward to the hope of Messiah look at verses 22 through 31 with me you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I will praise you you who fear the Lord praise him all you offspring of Jacob glorify him and stand in awe of him all you offspring of Israel for he is not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember And turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Now, as you can tell, the tone of the the whole song has changed by this point. I mean, it's filled with deliverance and joy and hope and praise and expectation. But remember, we're still stuck with the question of how David could endure through suffering when God was distant. And his enemies were near. So, how did David do it? I mean, I think it's important for us to answer that question so that we can know how to do it. And so, here's the key. You see, what I think David knew was that these words didn't ultimately describe his own experience. Now, don't get me wrong, they described his experience in part. But ultimately, they described the experience of the son that God had promised to give to David. Because you see, in 2 Samuel 7, 12, God promised to give David a son who would be king forever. And so that's who this psalm is about. It's about the Messiah. It's about the Redeemer. It's about the king who would sit on David's throne forever. And you see, I think David knew that. And let me show you why I say that. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 29. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, did you hear that? Peter just called David a prophet. You ever think of David as a prophet? King, yes. Psalmist, yes. Adulterer, yes. Prophet, yes. Because David just said it. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he, that is David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So what is Peter telling us here? He's telling us that David, as a prophet, foresaw the coming of the Messiah, and he wrote about it in the Psalms. And so think about this with me. If David foresaw the Messiah's resurrection, which is what we just read in, in Acts chapter two, then what else must he have foreseen? His death. Because you, you can't have a resurrection if you don't first have a death. So here's the point. David wrote Psalm 22 to describe his own experience, but knowing that it pointed forward prophetically to the suffering of the Messiah. And so David knew that he was writing not ultimately about his own sufferings, but about the sufferings of the coming Messiah. Now you may be thinking to yourself, well, that's real neat. Thanks for pointing that out. But how does that help us answer our question? Because we still don't know how David endured through suffering. So how did he do it? Well, here's how. You see, the reason David was able to endure through suffering is because he knew that the Messiah was coming to suffer in his place. David knew that the Messiah wasn't coming to simply experience suffering in general. He was coming to suffer In David's place. Because you see, God had every right to forsake David. I mean, think about it. David didn't exactly have a perfect track record in his covenant relationship with God, did he? Just to mention a few of his transgressions, he was a liar. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer and so much more. So God had every right to forsake David, just like he has every right to forsake anyone who disobeys him. So why doesn't David fear that? I mean, surely David feels forsaken by God, but he also seems to know that he's not forsaken by God because he's still crying out to God. He's still turned towards God. And you see, the reason David's able to stay turned towards God, even though he feels forsaken by God, is because he knew that the Messiah would actually be forsaken. In David's place. So David knew that he didn't have to fear being cut off from the covenant because the Messiah would be cut off in his place. That was David's hope. And you see, if David didn't have that hope, then there was no way he could have stayed turned towards God through his suffering. Because if the only assurance David could have that God was with him was his own ability to keep the law and his own feelings of God's closeness, then there's no way he would have endured. Because if both of those things were constantly in flux, so if that were the case, he would have just despaired. But because he looked forward in hope to the Messiah, he endured. And you see, brothers and sisters, that's the same reason why we can know that we will endure through suffering as well. Because we know who this Messiah is. He's Jesus. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is David's greater son. And you see, that's why Hebrews 2.12 tells us by quoting Psalm 22 that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. And here's why he's not ashamed. Because the Father sent Jesus as the only begotten son to make us adopted sons in him. And how did Jesus do that? By perfectly keeping the covenant in our place. Because we've all failed to. And so for those failings, we deserve to be forsaken by God and punished under his wrath for our sins. And so that's why Jesus came to bear our punishment and keep the covenant perfectly in our place because we are his siblings. We are his brothers and his sisters. And so that's why he subjected himself to suffering his entire life just like we suffer so that he could redeem us. And that's why he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he actually was forsaken by God. He didn't just feel forsaken by God like we do sometimes, but he truly was forsaken by God in our place. And you see, that's why Jesus's words were, it is finished. Those were his last words, much like the last words of this Psalm. He has done it because Jesus has done all that is necessary for our salvation. And you see, brothers and sisters, it's because Jesus suffered and because he truly was forsaken on the cross that he can sympathize with us in our sufferings and our feelings of forsakenness. And so because of that, even when we feel like God has forsaken us and even when we feel like the whole world is against us and even when we feel like our bodies might just stop working, because of our inner turmoil, we can know that we will endure because our Messiah will keep us and he will never leave us or forsake us. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because Father, we know that we would have no hope if you had not sent him. We acknowledge that We deserve to be forsaken by you for our sins. Indeed, Father, this week hasn't even gone by without us sinning grievously against you. And so, Father, we're thankful that you have sent Christ on the cross to scream out, yell out the song of the forsaken in our place so that we can cry out the song of the Lamb. Worthy are you to take the scroll because you were crucified to bring all nations to you. And so Father, because that's who we are in your son, we pray that we would be a people who are passionate to take the gospel to everyone that we meet. Because Father, this psalm clearly tells us that that is what will happen as a result of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. All the nations will come and worship at your throne because kingship belongs to him. So we acknowledge together that he has done it. And because of that, we know that you will never leave us or forsake us. May that embolden us to be courageous for this great call to which you have called us because we are secure in him. We ask this in his name and for his sake, amen.